Hey everyone, hope you're settling into Western World and into the unit. This podcast is designed to preview the weekly content and you can use it to prepare yourself for each weekly tutorial, especially if you're really time-pressed to do the weekly reading or if you've happened to miss a lecture. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the week two topic, socialization and culture. Now, we're not going to be able to cover all of the grounds because it's a very um, diverse week, but we'll really touch on the main key points. And what I'd like you to do perhaps after you've listened to the episode is to take a quick brainstorm about your own socialization. In particular, what agents of socialization have had the biggest impact on your life to date? And it might be a, big, it might be a good idea to bring these notes to your tutorial. So let's start by unpacking what the hell is socialization. Socialization is a lifelong social process through which individuals learn social norms, social values, social beliefs, customs, and even ideologies. In addition, socialization equips us with the knowledge and the skills which we need to be able to participate effectively in a human community, allowing us to understand what are our social roles and what are social expectations of behavior in our particular community. In addition, Without socialization, human beings cannot form a coherent sense of self. That is to say, without socialization, we would be basically be reduced to relying on our most primitive biological instincts, as the sad cases of isolated, confined, or abandoned children illustrates to us. And why is this the case? Well, the formation of our identities requires us to learn language, to form our own worldviews, and to develop the capacity to respond to other people's needs and wants. And we can only learn this through practices of socialization. But how does socialization work exactly? Sociologists argue that people develop an understanding of social values, norms, and beliefs, and form their own sense of identity through their engagement in different agents of socialization, such as the family, the education system, religious institutions, peer groups, we could go on and on. Sociologists also tend to divide agents of socialization in accordance with their importance in different periods in people's lives. And we call these primary agents, secondary agents, and tertiary agents of socialization. Now, primary agents of socialization are really important in our infancy and in our early childhood. The classic main example of such an agent is the family where we learn basic language skills, the capacity to mostly relate to others, and to develop elementary skills in numeracy and literacy and so on and so forth. The sociologists Charles Horton Cooley and George Herbert Mead have really helped us understand this particular process of identity formation in the primary stage of our socialization. Cooley is famous for coining the term the looking glass self, which refers to the fact that our sense of identity is only developed through social interactions with others, and in particular, our reaction to other people's perception of us. In other words, the way that we define ourselves as people is deeply connected to how we imagine we appear to others. Mead actually developed Cooley's insights further by arguing that human beings have the capacity to critically reflect on their own identity through self-reflection. 
and Mead explained this idea by dividing identities into two different aspects, the I and the me. The me part of identities refers to our ability to recognize what others think and feel about us. In other words, our ability to understand other people's representations of us. Who we are in other people's eyes, in other words. And we learn this capacity in our early socialization primarily through imitating the actions of those around us. For example, when we're a baby, by copying the gestures of our parents or imitating their voices. And we study their reactions and we learn information about how we ought to behave. And this process is really important for our socialization because eventually we, we become aware of, of how to understand a situation, it could be any social situation, from the perspective of a generalized other, that is, what a widely shared common perspective of a situation would be amongst members of our own community. And this is crucial if we are to understand experiences which might not impact us directly as individuals, but hugely shape the lives of other people in our community. So, for instance, as a young male, I do not directly experience the same kind or the same extent of body image pressure that a young woman faces in today's society. But from my knowledge of culture, my interactions with my female friends and colleagues, I might be able to imagine what they experience. I'm seeing their point of view in a generalized way, right? On the other side, the I part of our identities, according to me, refers to our ability to respond creatively to other people's understandings of ourselves, and it refers to our ability to take spontaneous action in response. And this is an important point because Mead is emphasizing that we are not prisoners of our socialization. We can critically reflect on why they shared social perspectives, norms, and values, and change our behavior. So to give you a random example, Imagine I was born a slave in the 19th century United States. And in this society, societal values and norms really profoundly denigrate my humanity. And they encourage me to internalize self-hatred and shame as a slave. But I might actually have access to other critical interpretations on my situation as a slave. I might read, for example... Uh, criticisms of slavery that might have been published in newspapers, or I might hear a religious pastor discussing about the immorality of slavery, and I might, you know, decide to escape my situation. And you could apply a similar thing for someone who's not a slave, perhaps a white person living in the society. They might have taken slavery for granted, but something in their life happens, and they and they understand the immorality of slavery for whatever reason. So for me, therefore, human behavior can be explained both in terms of our capacity to take spontaneous and self-made actions and by our willingness to react to others' respond to us. In other words, by considering what is a generalized perspective, what's a generalized standpoint, and how, does, how, ought, we, how ought we to um, behave in context of broader social expectations or conduct. So that's primary agents of socialization. We should probably turn to secondary and tertiary agents of socialization. Now, secondary agents of socialization become important later into our childhood, in our early adult years in particular, as the adult becomes, sorry, as the family becomes slightly less influential in our lives compared to the past. Our relationship with these agents of socialization, for example, our high school friends, 
we just develop a more complex and detailed understanding of social values, norms, and beliefs, while also allowing us to develop more advanced social intellectual skills. So while primary agents of socialization are probably the most important, we also shouldn't discount the importance of secondary agents of socialization, because they often teach us things about the social world which weren't available to us in our primary uh, socialization. And lastly, tertiary agents of socialization are those agents which play a major role in our adult lives. For instance, you guys starting university. What's happening here is that you're effectively becoming re-socialized into a new institution, Western Sydney University, and you're learning its internal procedures, its internal norms of interaction, and even the moral values which you must successfully learn if you want to complete your degree. So ultimately, what the different stages of socialization illustrate to us is that socialization is not a one-off, which occurs, say, from the moment of birth until early childhood. It's actually a lifelong process, and different agents of socialization can become more or less important to us across the different stages of our lives. So guys, just to wrap up um today you know this podcast why are we interested in teaching about socialization why is it important well first of all understanding socialization allows us to develop pure sociological imagination and this is because we often don't appreciate but our socialization has led us to accept certain values beliefs norms customs to be simply natural normal rather than something that's actually been acquired through a process of social learning now if you've ever experienced living in another country, even visiting for a short period, and you felt the phenomenon of cultural shock, you'll appreciate how we often only gain insight into our taken for granted assumptions about the world once they've been challenged. The problem with these taken for granted assumptions is that they can often lead to an arrogant ethnocentricism, which is the tendency to automatically assume that our culture is inherently superior to others, and to use our cultural background as the only framework for judging other cultures. And this kind of arrogant ethnocentrism in the past has often translated into negative stereotypes, prejudice, which in turn has led to societal-wide discrimination and even the abuse of others. So studying socialization allows us to suspend our immediate assumptions about other cultures so that we can try to understand it on its own terms, to understand it more fairly. We're also interested in socialization as sociologists because it's really connected to the process of what's called social reproduction, the ability of a community to reproduce itself across time by inducting new generations into its societal values, norms, beliefs, customs, so on and so forth. In other words, without socialization, communities would simply cease to exist over time. And this means that socialization is really deeply connected to the maintenance of social order in a society which refers to the need to maintain some semblance of order and stability in the face of constant social change. And one important thing to consider here is the connection between socialization and power relationships in society. So as children, we are are extremely dependent on our family and the education system for our basic knowledge about the world. And as a result, we don't really have significant control over our socialization. And this situation potentially leaves us in a vulnerable position. It's not an accident, for example, why uh, totalitarian regimes like Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union 
focus huge resources on shaping the thoughts and feelings of the youngest members of society to suit their own agendas. And so as a result, sociologists are interested how is socialization connected to relationships of power? And they look at many different aspects of this. Socialization with respect to class position, race, ethnicity, gender and sexuality. And it's a really effective tool to demonstrate the, the sheer diversity in the way that people are brought up and how people's worldviews and how people's opportunities in life are really shaped deeply by socialization. And last but not least, it's worth touching on the nature versus nurture debate, which is really important to sociologists because it offers us a lot of insights into human behavior. And this debate really centers on whether biological or social influences are most important in explaining our everyday conduct. Now, during the 19th century, when theories of human evolution were first being developed, it was argued that diverse social problems such as crime, poverty, substance abuse could exclusively be explained by our genetic makeup, thereby serving to justify extremely immoral policies such as forced sterilization and even mass genocide, as the Holocaust tragically illustrates. So as a result, it's unsurprising that by the middle of the 20th century, a shift occurred in many social science disciplines, which really emphasized that Human behavior can be explained by environmental influences overwhelmingly. And there was this assumption that human nature is basically a blank slate, capable of almost indefinite change and modification. But from the late 1970s, a more nuanced position emerged, which recognized that human behavior could be explained as an interaction between nature and nurture. And this meant that neither nature or nurture can wholly determine our behavior. So most sociologists today accept that certain parts of our behavior, such as whether we are introverted or extroverted, our tastes and our preferences for food or colors or things like that, or even our susceptibility to substance abuse or mental disorders are strongly shaped by biological factors. Although sociologists also stress that these natural tendencies can be modified, they can be affected by our social environment. And also, contemporary sociologists also stress that, as individuals, we have the capacity to make our own conscious decisions about our lives in important areas. So what we do in life is not passively determined by nature or by nurture, and that's really important to recognize. So guys, um, I know this was a lot of information to digest, and we haven't even really gone into everything that we could possibly cover. But the good news is, in your tutorials, you'll be able to unpack some of these ideas in more depth. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you find it informative. And if you have any feedback, you know, please don't hesitate to contact me. Thanks a lot for listening.